This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome to the eighth season of the Combustion Chronicles podcast, where bold leaders combine with big ideas to make life better for all of us. I'm your host, Sean Nason, CEO and founder of Mopi. As a maverick-minded, human-obsessed experience evangelist, I believe the only way to build a sustainable and thriving business is to put people first. Throughout this season, we'll be connecting you, the listener, with cutting-edge leaders who are challenging old ways of thinking with bold new ideas and a commitment to human-centric design. Experience matters, people matter, and revenue matters. That's why it's time to ignite a people-first experience revolution. My guest today, Trevor Maxwell, is the founder of Man Up to Cancer, a purpose-driven company and support community for men impacted by cancer. He started the organization in January 2020, less than two years after he learned he had stage four colon cancer. Since his diagnosis, he has undergone five major surgeries, chemotherapy, immunotherapy, and a clinical trial. Trevor has a background in journalism, communications, and public relations. After more than a decade as a newspaper reporter, he launched Maxwell Media and PR in 2011 to serve clients across a wide range of industries. He's the author of the new book, Open Heart, Warrior Spirit, A Man's Guide to Living with Cancer. Welcome to the Combustion Chronicles, Trevor. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much, Sean. That's a great introduction. Like, uh, what a long, strange trip it's been, man. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, Trevor, to all of our listeners, this is probably going to be a more of a personal uh, journey conversation today. Obviously, as a fellow cancer survivor and my diagnosis in 2022 and what I went through, I know how understandable it would have been for you to stay really self-focused. Oh, yeah. And I remember those moments. But you're actually using your cancer journey to benefit countless other men, um, including me. That's how we met is through your uh, Facebook group. So could you explain what you do at Man Up to Cancer and why you do it? Yeah, I mean, but first of all, I just want to say you're a cancer badass. I understand that you're finishing up your chemo. so. Man, I know what a hard road that is. So to see you here and see your spirit, see that smile, you're a beast, man. And uh, I appreciate being with here, being with you here today as a fellow uh, CRC warrior, man. So <laughs> yes. Um. So yeah. Um. Man up to cancer. I guess what I do is is very simple. Like I am not a rocket scientist. Like basically, I inspire other men to avoid isolation when going through cancer. Like bottom line, that's what I do. That can manifest in. Um, several ways. And I can talk about the components of man up to cancer, but bottom line, it's about encouraging men to be part of a community, whether it's man up to cancer or something else, just finding your people getting out of that isolation. And really where that comes from is that I, I learned during my journey that men tend to isolate more than women in general when faced with a cancer diagnosis. And that leads to some really bad places. I totally understand that. And I remember, you know, 
April 15th, as I said, when I got diagnosed. And I remember getting in the car with my wife and we were driving down the road and I actually looked at her and I said, I am going public with my journey. <laughs> yeah. I'm a micro influencer on LinkedIn and in the business world. And I said to her, I have to go public because as a man, we don't do that. Oh man. Yes. And so a little, even a little bit more back on our journey, you know, in 2018, we started something called truth tellers because I recognized that one of the greatest pandemics already happening in our country was loneliness <laughs> and loneliness in men. Absolutely. And then when I got through this diagnosis and started on my chemotherapy journey, I realized then how very easy it could be to isolate. And I have an amazing, as we call it from our book, Kiss Your Dragon, Swarm. I have an amazing yeah. group of people. <laughs> right. But what I realized, Trevor, is it's not like having someone who's gone through the journey. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm just proud of you for for going public and speaking up because you're right. It's like that lack of role models. Like the cancer world needs guys who are going to step up be honest about it, start talking about it. So, and we, we definitely speak the same language around men and, and loneliness and isolation. Like I'm sure that you've seen all the studies showing that, it, that men in general have far fewer close friends. Like most men don't even have a single close friend that they can confide in about anything real. Forget about cancer or forget about health issues or anything going on. <laughs> like that's just baseline. So then you bring in this life-threatening illness and, and the stresses of that and feeling like, you're kind of out of control. Like I can absolutely see why people go into their man caves. And I did that myself. Like for the first several months after my diagnosis, I struggled with anxiety, depression, just anticipatory grief. Like our daughters were 12 and 10. And I thought I'm going to die and, and fail them and leave them behind. Like I just, I felt like a complete failure and I just wanted to go away. And a complete failure on something that we didn't have any control over. <laughs> right, right, yeah. right. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit around, you know, my company, Mofi, we do experience design and we talk about an experience ecosystem. Um, and I've worked a lot in, in patient experience. What could, in your opinion, healthcare organizations do to better meet the needs of men who are facing such a serious diagnosis like cancer or any other diagnosis? And why are men's needs often different than women's? I mean, we could talk for a couple hours just on that one question, which is, <laughs> is a great one. I think the first thing that comes to mind when you ask that question is, is the mental health aspect of cancer, right? So I've been through five major surgeries. I've been through tons of chemo. Like I've been in the trenches for almost five years with pretty much nonstop. But all that physical stuff can't compare to the emotional burden that I face going through cancer, you know, being 41 years old having young kids, like trying to be a dad, be a husband while you're going through this illness, like while you're being emasculated, really, like all of a sudden you're a patient and you are in this medical industrial system. So, so the mental health piece for, for our providers, all those out there in healthcare land, like providers need to realize that men often are struggling with the mental health burden, with the emotional burden of cancer specifically, but they might not ask for help. A lot of us have been conditioned to think that if we ask for help, that that is weakness. So I think there's this assumption out there that if you ask a man, like, how are you doing? Or they fill out, they ask you to fill out that, you know, self review, like, how's your mental health doing? And of course you just, you circle the number like, yeah, I'm doing, doing great. Like, how are you doing this week, Trevor? I'm doing fine. 
Um, <laughs> and, and, and meanwhile, internally, I am not fine. So that would be number one. And then associated with that would just to be to understand that men and women, because of how we are conditioned in this culture, how we are raised, the messages, you know, sent to us as how to be a man, we're different. In general, we are different. There are studies to back this up in terms of how we respond to an illness, right? So it's 2023 now. We all want to believe that everybody's equal. There's no differences. You know, gender doesn't matter, but it matters. And if we're going to meet men where they are, we have to understand that a lot of men do isolate because they're concerned about this challenge has come along and they aren't able to handle it on their own, but they're supposed to be able to handle everything on their own. So there's this turmoil going on. So I think our providers need to understand that sometimes, you know, a man is going to come in and have different needs than a woman. And that's okay to, to acknowledge that. I don't want to say it's funny, but I remember <laughs> going through my 12 rounds and like, I don't know how you've gone for as long as you have. And I cheer you on brother. Mm. Like I remember the first time when I got that little mental health survey it was probably, I laughed about it the first time, but like the fourth time I actually put like, I'm not good. I'm <laughs> Yeah, right. I am not well. <laughs> uh, and I remember they didn't know what to do. They were like, oh, and they're they're like, well, what's going on? I'm like, I'm getting ready to get poisoned again today. Yeah. How do you think I feel today? Right? Like, and, and it was just interesting to me. Like, they didn't know how to respond. They didn't know how to take that because they're just so conditioned to, oh, people just circle. They're fine. Yeah. I, I mean, and in my experience, that's absolutely true. And and in my experience with the group, like the man up to cancer community, so many of us guys, even if we tell the, our oncologists or those providers in those offices that we're struggling, they don't know what to do with it oftentimes because, and oftentimes it's a, it's a resource question. Our practitioners are very, very good at treating our cancer. They are very good at, at looking at our scans and, and diagnosing us and, and gi giving us the poison, right? Giving us full Fox or whatever chemo you're on. They're good at treating your cancer. But the holistic wellness piece, the mental health piece, the emotional piece, that is often an afterthought, especially in a world where oftentimes in community settings, guys are going into their oncologist's office and they have maybe a 15 minute appointment or a 20 minute appointment. Like you're spending that time talking about your scans and how to keep yourself alive, like physically alive. You don't have the capacity to really explore like, damn, what is my mental health you know, doing right now? How is that impacting my journey? And I'll give you just a quick example of why it matters so much is like, if you're anxious and you're depressed and you are withdrawing, then you're not going to be getting those second opinions. You're not going to be networking with other patients to find out what your options are. You're not going to be learning about your disease if you're withdrawn. So isolating and going into having that mental health struggle really does impact your medical outcomes. Like that is a huge deal because if you're not at your best mentally, if you're not functioning and coping with your mental health, you're not able to explore everything else you need to explore to keep yourself alive. 100% agree. And again, I thought I understood all of that previously to my own diagnosis. <laughs> and then I realized, holy shit. No, I don't. And so let's talk about that from the experience standpoint as a patient, because you kind of hinted at it at the introduction. So how are you using man up to cancer to fill some of those gaps in the support system that yeah. men need right now. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, the gap that I saw was this, when I was really struggling with my mental health, I knew that I needed help. Like I couldn't get out of that pit by myself. 
And maybe if I'd been single, I would have just gone to the woods here in Maine and just disappeared. But I have a family and people who depend on me. So they're like, you need help. And I'm like, yeah, I do. So I started to get it. I went to counseling. I went to online counseling. I went to groups. I met people online. And everywhere I went in those cancer support spaces, it was usually 75% or more women versus 25% men. So there's like this three to one rule in cancer support spaces. So in my mind, I'm like, is this because men don't need help, right? Am I one of the only guys out there struggling <laughs> with cancer? <laughs> and I knew it was something different. I knew that it was just because those environments, especially co-ed environments, are places where men feel too vulnerable to share. Like they don't want to go onto a co-ed space and talk about, you know, losing their libido or having all these struggles or like a lot of guys just feel really vulnerable doing that. So man up to cancer, what we do is the core of Man Up to Cancer is a Facebook group. It's called The Howling Place. Everything we do is, is focused around like this wolf pack uh, theme, meaning you're part of a pack. You don't have to do this on your own and you shouldn't. So The Howling Place group on Facebook has about 2,000 members. They're from all over the world. They're male cancer patients and survivors. And you find that in that male-only space that some of these barriers come down. I mean, we've got guys in there from all different backgrounds, everyone from like floral arrangement guys to long haul truckers and diesel mechanics. Like it's a mix of guys, but some of these like macho tough guys that you would think like, Oh man, they're never going to share about what they're going through. They get in this group and they realize they're in a place where no one's going to judge them. No one is going to, everyone's just going to love you and support you in there without judgment. And so then the walls come down and people start saying like, there was a guy the other day who said, man, I, I'm a new member. I'm just going through cancer. Like over the past two years, and I'm really struggling with anxiety big time around, you know, around dying and talking about death. And I haven't talked to anyone about it. And I just need to talk about it here and vent. And there's probably like 30 guys who jumped on and commented and said, yeah, man, I'm going through the same thing. Like it's that kind of camaraderie in a place where, pe- where men feel comfortable. So to answer your original question, it, it's about creating an environment and a space where men can come out of those man caves and feel like they connect, can connect. And it starts with socialization. It starts with friendship. Like people come into the group and you don't have to talk about your cancer if you don't want to. Like we got guys just in there talking about their favorite food, favorite drinks, uh, their pets, their sports teams. Like it's kind of a guy's hangout for dudes who are impacted with cancer. So I'm part of that group. That's how I found you. And I have a couple really, really great friends out of that group that, you know, we text each other every day. And yeah, I remember the first time with one of them, he texts something that had happened and he's like, I've never talked about this. Oh my gosh. He's like, how free do I feel that I can actually talk about it right now? So the conversations in the group, like you just talked about, lead to people being friends outside of the group, like in real life. And then we also have Zoom meetings. So every couple of weeks we have a, a, a Zoom meeting and we're probably gonna have a lot more of those because we have chapters cropping up. We have about 14 local chapters around the US and Canada and one in Europe where guys are getting together in person. So man up to cancer, you have that best of both worlds. You can meet people in the group and online. And then now there's going to be more and more opportunities for people to go get a meal or go to a ball game or just hang out with guys that are going through the same experience. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I'm, I'm glad to say that um, I'm part of the inaugural group that's getting ready to start the Ohio chapter. Yes. So, yeah, <laughs> that's so awesome. We're, so we're going to get there. So thank you, Sean. <laughs> Yeah, well, we've talked about this, Trevor, you know, like we didn't choose to get cancer, right? But you did choose to use your cancer as a springboard to serving others. You made that choice. And so 
being a journalist, as I mentioned in your uh, introduction, obviously helped you when you sit down to write your new book. Yep. You got to talk about this book. And But what in your background prepared you then to start up Man Up for Cancer? This is going to sound a little woo-woo. <laughs> it's almost as if, as if every experience that I had prior to my cancer diagnosis kind of led me up to doing something like this. You know, sometimes in your professional life, you, you feel like you're you're close to your purpose. Like you're doing things that you you feel good about, but you're not quite there. There's always something missing. And with Man Up to Cancer, when I started doing it, like, so there's a couple components. There's content. So I do a podcast. I have a website, social media, email, all that stuff. And then we have a couple of programs. So we have an annual retreat. Um, we had our first one in September near Buffalo, New York, and we're going to do a, another one, number two, uh, this September. And then we have a chemo backpack program where we send guys backpacks with the man up to cancer stuff, like a, a blanket, a beanie, notebook, pen, um, gingins for that nausea. Like, so it's basically like a comfort and practical backpack for people going through chemo circling on my skills. I think community, like I was an athlete high school and then a, a little bit in college, but I always loved being part of a team and I had a chance to be a captain on some teams and, and that camaraderie that you get with athletic teams is something that some, a lot of us grow old. We, we become men. We're not on teams <laughs> anymore. And then all of a sudden you're missing that. You're like, oh man, like I, I really like that sense of being on a team and leading a team. So with man up to cancer, I kind of felt like that. I was kind of like, Hey, we all got drafted to this crappy team, you know, the cancer team. And no, none of us wanted to be on that team, but since we're all here, Sean, let's make the most of it. Like, let's have some, a cool gear with an awesome logo and like, let's make the best of it and come together and really do what we can with the hand that was dealt to us. So yeah. that was the m athletics I would say. And then also just with journalism with like you're doing, I love interviewing people. I love talking to others. I love, um, so for the book. I, t I interviewed a lot of people through my podcast and then outside of my podcast. So guys from the uh, man up to cancer community, other people going through cancer providers. And then I was able to really share those experiences in the book. And I also share those experiences in man up to cancer because we empower role models. So we empower guys who are struggling. Maybe they come in and, and they are feeling like they want to be an advocate, but they don't know how, and they're struggling. And then they come in and they get empowered and they learn how to advocate. They learn how to be a patient leader and then they go out and do that. So I just love doing that. I just feel like everything that I'm doing right now from the content to the leadership of the programs is right up my alley. Yes. So I want to dig into the book. There's two things that I want to talk about from the book, which is really funny because everything you're talking about right now, the fundamental core of Man Up to Cancer is around the Facebook group. Um, but chapter six, you okay. call it finding your people. Yes. And as I mentioned, we wrote a book called kiss your dragons and we use the term finding your swarm. Um, Love it. Yeah. Right. Because it's a diverse group of dragons as we um, claim, but I love this. The very opening sentence to chapter six, you say until cancer, I was the social media skeptic. <laughs> <laughs> And you go on and you just talk about, you know, at the end there, social media I had decided was largely a cesspool of judgment <laughs> and virtue signaling. So how then <laughs> with that, did you then say, but everything we need to do with Man Up to Cancer needs to stay in the social media space to get this community going? 
I barely used social media uh, before cancer because because of the toxicity. Like, it's just like I feel like it's so fake. And it's like everyone's out there talking about how beautiful their lives are and how awesome everything is with this filters on it. And it's like, I know you. I know your life is not that fairy tale. Like, come on. Um, <laughs> but then cancer hits and it's like, I'm 41 years old at the time. This was in 2018. I have stage four colorectal cancer. I need to connect with people. I can't just go out in my local community here in Maine. So I live right near Portland, Maine. And I can't just go build a community like locally to find people to like hang out with who are facing similar challenges, like at the same age, like that just, there's maybe a couple people around here, but when you need to build community, you know, the internet has changed the game so that now I can access a community. Like I always talk about Colon town, talk about Colon town a lot in the book. It's um, Facebook communities for run by and built for colorectal cancer patients and survivors and caregivers. And that's all made possible because you can connect with people all around the world, you know, on social media who are facing this same challenge. So that really, you know, I needed it. I needed to connect with others who were around the same age, you know, raising kids, going through the same challenge, like so to know that I wasn't alone. So, so all of a sudden social media opened up this whole new world <laughs> and I don't use social media for anything else. So people are like, well, how do you stay on social media? Like it's so bad and toxic and all the political stuff and blah, blah, blah. I don't even see any of that stuff because I just use it for my cancer community. I use it to connect with others and to inspire others. And like, you know, I curate my social media so that I don't get involved in all that toxic crap. So yeah, I'm a believer. <laughs> I am a converted believer in the social media experiment. However, as we know, there's about a million dark sides to that that I'm not going to get into, but there is a light, right? It all depends on how you use something, right? It's just a tool. It's really just a tool, but if you use it for the right thing, it can really be magical. Yes, yes, and yes. Okay, so one more thing about the book, because I thought it was so powerful, was chapter four, when you talked about your my Shawshank moment. Oh, man, yeah. And if those of our <laughs> listeners who haven't seen the Shawshank Redemption, you need, to, you need to go watch it. But can you just give us a brief, a snippet of what this this moment was like because I think it's so powerful because I think it helps shape exactly what you're doing. Absolutely. So in in late 2018, I I'd, I'd gone through colon surgery, my first liver surgery, uh, chemo, and I was in a really dark place. Again, like I said earlier, I kind of just wanted to say I don't want to be a burden to you guys anymore. Like I didn't want to be a burden to my wife and my kids. Like I felt like I was just burdening them. So and I was in a funk. And I'm so lucky. I am so lucky. I realized like how many men don't have loved ones who are going to stick with them and pull them through when they're at their darkest time. But I had that fortunately, you know, Sarah and the girls, they're like, you know what? You're in this dark place. We understand that. So my wife at one point near Christmas that year, she really challenged me. And this was the moment that really turned my life around. And the Shawshank moment is all about get busy living or get busy dying. So I was just beside myself. She confronted me basically. And she said, Trevor, you know, we need you. We need you here as part of this family. Like we need you to be engaged in this life. It doesn't matter if you have a year left or 40 years left. We need you, the real Trevor to be with us because I had gone inward. Like you said, at the top of the show, like I was a very outward person, very personable. Like I always loved making friends. I was very outward oriented, service oriented and cancer had really taken me inside 
to the darkest of places. And I'm, I look back and I know that I needed to go there, but it was rough, right? I was just inside myself. It was like locked in my own prison. So when Sarah confronted me in that way, I said, I just can't get over this. Like, I'm going to die. I can't get over that. I'm going to die. And my kids are just going to re- remember me as sick. And she looks at me and this is the moment I'll always remember. She, she looked at me and she was going to say something, but she wasn't sure if she should say it. And I just said, you know, let me have it. Like, what do you need to tell me? And she said, I'm not worried. They're going to remember you as sick. I'm worried. They're going to remember you as sad and you're not a sad person. And it wasn't like fireworks and, and the light bulb went off and I was like, oh, I'm out of the pit now. I'm good. I, I'm here on uh-huh. myself. Like, but that was the moment where I made the decision. I made that promise to her. I said, you're right. I don't want to be remembered as sad, no matter how much life I have left. And that was my Shawshank moment where I was like, okay, I need help. I can't get out of this pit by myself. I need to get some help for this. And that really turned things around. Like it didn't happen overnight. It wasn't like magic, but you start putting in the work and the work is getting help. It's go, it's whatever that means to you, exercise, meditation, music therapy, counseling. It's outside of yourself. It's starting to get outside of yourself. You can't just sit in your house and you're in the prison of your own mind. That's not a strategy, right? So that was really the moment that I started moving toward doing this work and serving others, getting out of my own head. So even though my cancer battle has just continued kind of relentlessly, my cancer has been very stubborn, but at the same time, unbelievably grateful to just even be here at almost five years. That's mind blowing. Um, so I'm so grateful for that. But even though the cancer challenge continued, my mindset started to turn around. I started to get better on my mental health. I started to get more engaged saying, you know what? I don't have full control over how long I'm going to be on this earth, but I can choose to do something. I can choose today to do something to be the person I want to be and show my kids that life is going to punch you in the face. It's going to knock you down. Like it's the Rocky quote, right? It's going to knock Uh you down. And the only question is, are you going to stay there? Well, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Because I think it is so true because, and you went someplace there that I hope our listeners listen to around mindsets. And that applies to everything in life. And so I want to close with um, some advice for our listeners. First, what's one thing every healthcare professional ought to know that you don't think they know in helping serve patients? Well, I already talked about the gender difference. So I guess with that question, I'll say they should know that not everyone is getting high quality care, right? I guess like there's this idea out there that we're making all these big breakthroughs in cancer and like, oh, with everything now, it's like, it's so treatable and this and that. And everyone's getting precision medicine and you know your biomarkers and you can get targeted drugs and everything else. But I've learned through my Man Up to Cancer community that a lot of the guys aren't getting that level of care um, unless you're at like one of those big. NCI cancer centers where you're going to get the top of the line, you're down there in the trenches and and these guys are, these folks are doing the best they can, but we need to do better. I guess I would say, I want to tell those professionals, like keep advocating for the patients out there who are not getting the care that is available and that they deserve. Like it's 2023, the five-year survival rate for colorectal cancer is still under 15%. I think it's, you know, And people say, oh, those are old numbers. It's changing. It's changing. Well, it hasn't changed. It hasn't changed in a long time. And I think that's because we've just gotten apathetic, I think, around outcomes. Like we need to do better and and to understand that if we're going to enter this era of precision medicine, we need to do it so that everyone gets on the train, right? And we're leaving way too many people behind. Wow. And I love that you said apathetic with outcomes. 
that goes to the core. All right. So what's your advice then, Trevor, for people who want to turn life experiences like a cancer diagnosis into something that serves the world? It's a great question. And I think a lot of cancer patients have that call, right? Like I remember my first week after getting diagnosed, I needed to get on the phone with someone who had been through it, like someone who had survived it. Like I needed to have that person to person conversation, that human connection with someone who'd been through it. And I always told myself, like, I want to be at that time when I talked to him, his name was Brian. And I remember at the end of the conversation thinking how generous it was. And I thought, that's all I want to do is I want to get through this or, you know, or I want to keep getting through this so that I can be on the other end of that phone. So I think a lot of us have that call to want to help, right? When you go through something like this, but I think people limit themselves and I limited myself because I kept saying to myself, you know, over time when I wanted to get involved and like be a help with other patients and get, and get involved with patient advocacy, I kept telling myself, that I wasn't ready or I didn't have enough to offer or I, I needed to get well first. Or there was all these excuses saying like, I'm not enough. That was basically my message that I told myself was I'm not enough to get involved or give back or help anyone. And what my message is today to anyone out there who's listening out there and wants to give back, but feels like you're not prepared or you you're not enough to do that. Start right where you are. Like you have something to give. Even if it's just, you know, one phone call a week with someone else going through it or stopping in at your local cancer center and seeing if there's like a, you know, maybe you can read to some kids or, or calling up um, one of the advocacy groups in your cancer type or just in general and saying, Hey, I'm, I want to volunteer in some small way. What can I do? But taking that step and knowing that you have something to give, no matter where you are in your cancer journey, you have something to give. And that's what I would say is just start where you are. Well, thank you for that piece of advice. And thank you so much for your story, for what you're doing for this community of men who, as I learned in my journey, firmly, firmly need it. So, but it has come to that point in this podcast where we do these things called the combustion questions, which are three randomly selected questions by our human algorithm. And um, I have not seen those questions. I do not know what they are until just this moment. And I'm going to ask you just to have some fun with them. Are you ready for your first combustion question, Trevor? I'm not sure that I am, but I don't think I have a choice. So let's do this. Your very first combustion question. Which living individual outside your family do you value the most? I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings on this one. I mean, I'll shout out one person. With the knowledge that like, I'm such a lover, like I love everybody. So this is not ranking, but he's the person that comes to mind because I wouldn't be talking to you today if it wasn't for this person. And that is Joe Bullock. So, you know, Joe, everyone knows Joe. Joe's like the cancer Oprah and, and he wants to give everything away. Like if man up to cancer had like an unlimited budget, I think he'd give everyone in the howling place a car. But he, Joe is responsible for like, I started the group. I started the mission of man up to cancer and like day one, Joe came on board and like within like a couple of days, I was asking him to be like admin of the group because he was all in. And I think for any concept, like any mission, you need that first adopter, someone who's going to come in and be like, I'll be your wingman. Like, let's do this. And for Man Up to Cancer, that's been Joe. Love it. Love it. And yes, we all know Joe and Man Up to Cancer. <laughs> <laughs> your next combustion question. What's your favorite dinosaur? It's got to be the pterodactyl. I mean, attack from the air. 
Um, you're just surveying the whole the whole land and just going down and just you know wreaking havoc wherever you want. I mean, so I I've always been fascinated with flight. I have dreams of flying, so I'd love to be a pterodactyl. Awesome. Okay, final one. What do you think about instant coffee? I will accept any coffee. I will accept instant coffee. I don't even care. Like I will go into any of the crappiest gas station and drink whatever coffee is left in that thing. Like it might have been sitting there for like three days. My wife is horrified. I think I have a stomach of like steel when it comes to coffee. I will accept any of it. Bring on the instant. I'm just going to leave that one alone. But I guess as, as much poison as we put in our body, it could, three day old coffee couldn't be bad on you. So Trevor, thank you so much. Thank you for your time. Definitely can't wait till we meet in person this year. Until then, my brother, stay safe and be well. Thank you, Sean. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Combustion Chronicles. If you've enjoyed this episode, please take a few minutes to subscribe, rate, and review. Remember that I'm always looking to meet more big thinking mavericks. So let's keep the conversation going by connecting on LinkedIn. If you want to discover more about human-obsessed, maverick-minded experience ecosystems, go to mofi.co, where you'll find ideas and resources to help you ignite your own experience revolution. Or go to experienceevangelist.com to learn more about my mission to challenge leaders to blow up outdated, siloed systems and rebuild them with an aligned human-first approach. As always, stay safe, Be well and keep blowing shit up.